and welcome to Your Property Podcast. Today we have with us Brandon Voss. So Brandon is the president of the Black Swan Group and you might recognise his surname from the author Chris Voss who wrote the negotiation bestseller Never Split the Difference. So uh, Chris and Brandon is a father and son team and Brandon is the expert trainer, the coach and thought leader behind negotiation personality types and uh, in addition to leading corporate training within the business, Brandon manages all the behind the scenes as well. So it's an absolute pleasure pleasure to have you on today thank you for joining us Brandon hey Michelle I'm, I'm happy to be here with you today thanks for having me on so part of the um, reason why I wanted to get yourself on to our, our show today is because a lot of what we do in property investing is around negotiation and let's start off by uh, talking about your company the Black Swan Group you tell us where did that name come about yeah, no, that's great. And, and so uh, Black Swan comes from not not from the ballerina stuff, right? No, it's not, it's not about that. Black Swan actually has to do with uh, the discovery of the improbable. So those small, sometimes large pieces of information, often latent dynamics or latent pieces of information that once discovered completely change the outcome of where the agreement can go. And, and we like to say that there are at least three to five black swans in every negotiation that we have. So consequently, our tactical empathy process, the black swan method, is really geared towards discovering those black swans. And so as far as when do we engage in this process of finding black swans, right? When is the trigger moment during the negotiation where we're actually looking for that specifically? And the reality is it's at all times. You know, the, the, the whole purpose of this tactical empathy process is to allow the other side to go first, to put them in a place where you've built a tremendous amount of rapport through understanding. And thus, black swans tend to reveal themselves naturally because people feel comfortable revealing things to us that they might not tell anybody else. Right. I think it's such an important concept that uh, I think people who are getting into investing in property and looking at alternative ways to help people through creative strategies, for example, um, you know, what we're all about is the win-win where the, uh, the vendor, the landlord, the agent, whoever it is, they are getting what they want out of uh, out of the deal and also obviously it's got to be a good deal for us as well but a lot of the time we go into these conversations and we're not always um, we're not always aware of what is what is really going on and I'll give you a, a brief example of a conversation I had with a, a vendor and, and the initial conversation was framed around her property and she wasn't sure you know she presented it to me as she wasn't sure whether she wanted to sell and the original conversation was about leasing the property over a number of years Mm. Um, but after some time, it became obvious. So I guess the black swan there it became obvious that she would rather just sell. So that came after you know a number of hours of just discussion and finding out about her situation. So I suppose, do you have any um, a, a process or any advice for people who are that they want to help the other person? And they, how do they go about that? Especially if it's somebody new and a, maybe a business interaction, there might be some skepticism at the beginning. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great question. And I would say, you know, normally people would want to engage in that type of interaction by asking the right questions, right? What, 
what are the right questions that I can drop in at the right time that'll allow them to give me the answer that benefits both of us. And it's not that that's untrue. It's just that asking questions doesn't always get us to the place that we'd like to go. Right. And there's a, there's a number of reasons behind that. The short answer is a better, a better approach is actually to label them. And so a label is simply put is, is a verbal observation of a, of a dynamic. And it usually starts with, it seems like, it sounds like, or it looks like. Some people also tend to use, it feels like. And so in a situation like what you were, were bringing up, if you were trying to discover more reasons around why she might want to lease instead of selling, you might use a label to bring up a potential obligation that comes with leasing, right? Dealing with tenants, dealing with a property manager, having to um, still be tied to issues around the property when you might be too busy to handle them. And so sounds like you're willing to engage with tenants that might not be the best fit. Right. Ooh, Man, well, maybe not. Maybe I don't want to deal with the whole tenant landlord relationship. And so you start to inject certain aspects of the conversation in, in a very delicate manner that allows them to think about it without feeling cornered at the same time. Right. I, I think that's such an important distinction there that you've made, because a lot of my understanding of the negotiation had previously been uh, around those questions. So that shift in Actually, it's not so much about the questions. It's more about understanding and, and relating to them and labeling kind of what they're feeling um, just builds that rapport in a different way. So, so that's it's really- a great way to put it too. something else that I'll add to that. So uh, Daniel Kahneman in his book, Thinking Fast and Slow, talks about the two systems of the brain, right? System one, system two. And the system one is emotionally driven. It's at, it's at the very forefront of our mind. It has a huge effect on a lot of decisions that we make. And then the system two brain is the slow thought, deep thinking side of the brain. And the reality is when we're dealing with people and we try to trigger their deep thought, system two side of their brain, and they're not necessarily ready for it, then their answers tend to be somewhat convoluted or at the very least leave that pertinent information because we're accessing a part of the brain they weren't necessarily ready to get into yet. And so read during, uh, being able to make that read in the conversation, should I use a label here in a way that doesn't necessarily interrupt their thought process? Or should I in fact use a question which triggers slow, slow thinking? And that's all gonna be dictated by who the counterpart is and where they're at currently. Okay. and. In terms of actually helping the other person, because obviously sometimes, you know, when we're talking about property and we're talking about, you know, uh, where somebody lives, their homes, sometimes Mm -hmm. it can be quite an emotive subject. And there's a lot of emotions tied into that through, you know, all sorts of baggage. Um, So is there there anything else to help kind of put that person at ease in a really kind of genuine way so that they understand that you're coming from the right place? That's a great question. And you make a great point. I mean, the emotional ties that come with people that are selling a family home or forever home or something that maybe they got passed down to them by a relative, whatever it is, there's a clear emotional attachment to it, which makes it that much harder for them to sell. And also it tends, they tend to put a higher value on things like that than they're actually worth, right? The market doesn't necessarily (laughs) dictate that, but I know you want another 50,000 for it because 
right? We all, we've all been through that. And so something along the lines of, uh, again, another label to the effect of, it seems like you shared a lot of good memories. It sounds like, simply put, it's difficult for you to let this property go, right? And using the labels to go right at that emotion. It seems like, seems like you're very emotionally tied to this property for good reason. Right. And it allows us to go right at those things instead of saying, well, what are the reasons you're tied to this property? Yeah. And then, you know, the slow thinking gets triggered. And it's like, well, I don't know if I want to tell them about my yeah. grandmother and I sharing lemonade on the back deck when I was a kid, just based on the nature of the question. But something like it sounds like you've got good reason to be tied to this house. Yeah. And then would follow, yeah, my grandmother and I, we used to drink lemonade on the back deck every summer. Right. It's 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 interesting how naturally it's sort of information especially emotionally, um, uh, uh, emotions that are very pertinent to the, to the situation, how easily those things tend to come out in response to labels. Mm. And I'd just like to pick up on something you mentioned there about how they sometimes overvalue the property um, based on how they feel about it. So in terms of actually negotiating, let's say, for example, you're with somebody and you know they've had enough, they do want to sell, they're clear about that, and they'd like to sell it to you. So you're at that point in the negotiation. Um, and a, a common kind of dynamic traditionally is this 50-50 that you meet halfway. And I know that, you know, in the book, Chris talks about how that's um not always you know that's not what you're after as uh, uh you know on your side you're you're actually it's if it's not worth that then how do you get the other person to see that it's just not worth that because obviously it, you know in the win-win it's got to it's got to work for both parties yeah no, that's a, that's a great question and so hence the reason why we wrote the book never split the difference yeah. right because this 50 50 thing is such a conundrum in 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 all negotiations for that matter not just in in the real estate world and so a couple things. First of all, uh, a phrase that we often use is those that offer to split the difference are often a poor judge of distance. Okay. And so another way to put that is people will throw anchors, high anchors, low anchors, what have you, to move the midpoint. And so 50 is the halfway point between zero and 100. And so if I was going to throw a high anchor at you, I'd say 150. Right. Trying to move that midpoint in my favor. And so the, the, the first thing is, it's actually a very manipulative technique to do that because your aiming point is this middle. How can I get above the middle? Well, I'll just go double high, right? I'll go <laughs> high twice as far. So that, that's the first thing, like to understand that if you're being anchored, that's in fact what you're dealing with. And so first of all, are you willing to engage in that type of interaction where someone is intentionally manipulating the midpoint by throwing really high or really low numbers in, right? Most of us would not be. And then secondarily, another, another uh, way to approach this is through forced empathy or what we also refer to as loss aversion. And so forced empathy is a simple, how am I supposed to do that? Right. Which uh, if you've read the book, you probably know about the how am I supposed to do that yeah. phrase, <laughs> right? You can use that in the face of a high anchor or this kind of splitting the difference approach. That's one. And then loss aversion can be applied in this case as almost injecting a walk away without actually walking away. Okay. And so would you be willing to hang on to this property until someone comes up to that price? Depending on where you are, probably not. They know that they've 
aimed high, they've outbidded, right? You, you know that there's some sense of an issue there. And something you could also say, it, you know, it seems like there's nothing I can do to change your mind. Right. It sounds like you're really set and there's just no way around that. And people will start to give in the face of that because again, it conveys walk away without actually packing up and rudely getting up and walking away from the table and walking out of the conversation. Right. And it starts, right? The emotions start to kick in. Oh, I might lose this deal, right? Michelle said, it sounds like I'm willing to hang on to this property, but I'm not willing to hang on to this property. I want to sell it to her today. And so uh, I'm going to come down off my number just because she said, it sounds like I'm willing to hang on to this and I'm not. And so those are a couple of different ways to, to manage it in the moment as it were. Okay. Well, a lot of what we do uh, in the, as property investors is, uh, you know, waiting, I suppose, patiently for people who are in a position where uh, perhaps the speed and the certainty of the sale is more important than the price. So mm. we're offering something that's an alternative that actually they want more than the, the price. So, uh, and they're not always ready uh, for that at the initial conversation, you know, when you first meet them. So in terms of actually, they say, do you know what, like, I'm not ready. This is, uh, I don't want to, to kind of go the, to that, you know, that that price point. How do you leave the conversation open um, in, a, in a really positive way so that you haven't kind of offended them? How do you walk away from that deal, uh, but still leaving that opportunity open? No, nah, great question. Great question. So first thing is, I, I want to explore that a little bit. And something to the effect of sounds like you got a reason for saying that, you know, that that is a common label that we use. And the reality is it can be used in the face of anything you get from a counterpart, no matter what they say, I'm not ready yet, or I'm still thinking about it, or I got, I'm worried about more things other than price, speed, delivery, you know, what kind of commissions people are getting. You could easily just, sounds like you got a reason for saying that. And they will tell you, which is great. And so you continue to inform yourself in the moment. But getting back to how do we end positively, leaving the door open, the first step is just going to be to simply summarize. If we can get them to a that's right, right before we're walking out the door or right before we're concluding our conversation, that actually is, a, is an indicator that they feel bonded to us. And if that's right is the closest thing I compare it to is you're watching TV and the person you support politically is on TV and they're laying out their plan and their plan resonates with you. And you want to stand up and you want to go, that's right. <laughs> right. They're going to, they're going to defend me. They're going to, they're going to look after my rights. They're going to, they're going to go and they're going to, they're going to represent who I am as a person. That's right. And the kind of rush that we get when we feel represented and understood by another party, that's the same type of effect that we create when we get it. That's right in a negotiation. And we usually do it through the form of a summary, which is just simply, so far you've told me, and you lay out everything that they've said, they had a justifications, every thought that they have uttered throughout the time, the entire interaction. And then you tie it back to emotion with, and as a result, you feel. So far you've told me, this is important to you, this is important to you, this is important to you. And as a result, you feel like you wanna wait, see how the market develops, and you, you, you're anxious, but you're willing to sit back and see what happens. You know, that's right. They're gonna remember having that conversation with a person like you. And when their mind does change, you're gonna be at the top of their list of people to call first. Great.
Well, I'm, I'm going to segue onto a different question now. Um, and it's around when, you know, property deals, as much as we can plan and we've got everything in place and, you know, we've got our numbers and everything, things happen global pandemics, whatever, and things don't always go to plan, things sometimes go wrong. So when you're um, when you're speaking to perhaps an investor or a vendor and, and their expectations are not going to be met, um, any tips on having those difficult conversations in a way that, you know, you can communicate that you're, you know, you're doing everything that you can, but also they're not going to be getting what they were expecting. Mm-hmm. So there's a skill that we call the accusations audit and the accusations audit was specifically designed as a technique for delivering bad news or having to drop items into a conversation that may not be received well. And so, you know, you're going into a difficult conversation, you know, you got things to lay out that they just, they are not going to respond positively to. And so an accusations audit is what you want to start with. And something along the lines of, you are not going to like what I have to say. There are things that we are going to go through today that are only going to leave you disappointed. And I would imagine as a result of this conversation, you're probably going to have a lot of questions in your mind. And so when you start the interaction that way, not only are you diffusing potential negatives that they have, but you're also setting an expectation because they know where the conversation is going. They're not going to be surprised in the moment when people erupt in a conversation, it's because they're caught, they're caught completely off guard by the information. That's actually what causes it. Not even the information itself, just with a little fact that they were caught off guard by. And so if you can start to diffuse negatives around, you're going to be disappointed. If they are as a result, then go ahead and state it. You're setting the expectation of that's where we're going. And then the other great kind of hack, as it were, about this tool is you then take those tools away from them. Right. The chances that later on in the conversation, they're going to say, I'm not doing business with you because I was disappointed, go away almost completely because we started the interaction by stating this is how you're going to feel about this. And then there's actually kind of a fourth reason. It makes us look like a genius. You literally look like a fortune teller to the people that you speak to because you're able to articulate what their emotions are before they've had a chance to say anything. And so that all leads to rapport building, feeling understood by you, which then goes to deal making. People are influenced to make deals with those that they like. You are building all of, you're building up all of these likability points, even in the face of a really tough discussion. And so if you are, obviously that you've built up that rapport through um, explaining how you understand how they feel and they feel understood, Mm-hmm. And what would be the next part of that? There's there's an ongoing communication after that. So you want to save the deal or, you know, repair your kind of reputation, if you like. Um, mm-hmm. So how do you manage that? The, the forward expectations of you don't want to make too many promises. At the same time, you want to instill confidence. Yeah. Couple, so a couple of things. There's, We like to say circumstance drives your strategy. And so I'll kind of give two different avenues here, even though there are are a number. 
Well, you lay out your accusations on it. You're not going to like this. You're going to feel disappointed. You're going to be caught off guard. You're going to have a lot of questions. And then go silent. The, the point of ending an accusations on it is actually to create an awkward void in the interaction that gives everybody space. More so for us as a negotiator, if they have things to add, this is their time that they'll do so. Or if they have a correction, right? Allow them to do that. Now, next step for us, we go two different directions. One direction is we could use a no-oriented question to ask permission to lay out what we have to say. And so would I be completely out of line if I laid out what I wanted you to hear? No, 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 please, not at all. You got us on the edge of our seat. We'd love to hear what you got to say, Michelle, right? Like that's the sort of response you would get. But uh, actively triggering a no response instead of, is it okay for me to proceed, which a lot of us would have a tendency to say, get rid of that altogether and, and just flip it to, you know, would I be out of line by laying it out? No, not at all. That's one avenue. Another avenue, depending on circumstance, is you could prompt them to add to the discussion at that point, to the tune of what did I miss? What have I left out? What concerns are still in your mind? And then that will allow them to lean in. And this is a good place where you could use a, an open-ended question or what we call a calibrated question to trigger slow thinking because you use the audit to diffuse all the negative emotions that are part of the system one brain. So once you've quieted system one, that emotional driven amygdala centered, you know, part of the brain, then you can trigger slow thinking and get amicable responses as a result. Right. Quiet the chimp. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Quiet the chimp. I, I call it the little man on the shoulder. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so a lot of what you talk about and, and, and what was in the book, and I'm sure when you're training and coaching people yourself, um, it, do you find that there's some resistance? And I, I say that because when I first read the book, I was, it, it, a lot of it felt quite counterintuitive, like raising questions that have like the no answer and mm -hmm. the 50-50 and even certain phrases like, how am I supposed to do that? Like I've tried to use that myself and put it into emails. And to be honest, it, I kind of cringe. So I'm thinking, oh, this just, it doesn't sound like natural. They're going to think it's weird. <laughs> so how do you coach people to basically kind of retrain the way that they communicate? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. And that, that is probably the most difficult part of, of learning tactful empathy is like what you do at the very beginning with your mindset. You know, once you got your mindset in the right place, learning the skills and, and using them becomes that much easier. But to your point, it's at the very beginning getting over that hurdle. So a couple, couple different things. First is you got to accept that you're going to screw up. Okay. <laughs> you got to accept that you're going to get it wrong. It's very similar to learning a new language, right? You're not going to learn that language in a week. Yes. And the first hundred times, 500 times, thousand times that you try to use the language, you might pronounce it wrong or use the wrong inflection. And you just simply got to accept that that's going to happen. Same process when you're, when you're trying a new communication technique. So that's the first part. Second part of that is staying curious. And it kind of works twofold. Number one, it's hard for us as human beings, this way all humans work across the planet, to be genuinely curious and completely angry at the same time. 
Okay. And so a great way to mitigate our own anger or frustration internally is if we just focus on being very curious about what they're thinking. And then the other part that's great about curiosity is you will come off as genuinely curious if that is what your mental intention is. Mm-hmm. And the other person will feel that. Just like they feel when we're trying to get them to say yes, yeah. people will feel when you're genuinely curious and that will encourage them to give you more. You know, just like energy in an environment, right? The vibe that you're putting out. If you're if your genuine vibe is, I really want to know more why this this house is so important to you, mm-hmm. and why it's such a struggle for you to let go of this, right? Not necessarily using those words, but that you're exuding with your approach to them, and people will open up as a result. And so the, those are the two main things. I mean, another another part of this is uh, being willing to experiment. Mm-hmm. You know, some of it is just like, again, along the lines, you're not always going to get it right. However, every time that you do a misstep or you accidentally do get it right, you're taking very conscious notes of what sort of reactions people are giving you. Mm. And then those repetitions and those cycles, that will, those consistencies will reveal themselves in future conversations and you'll know what to do. Because, oh, when I first tried this, this was the same look I got. And I know I need to follow up with an accusations order. I need to summarize at this moment, your brain will automatically pick up those triggers and make you a better and better communicator the more cycles you get in. There's some fantastic tips. And um, I just, I suppose, are there anything else that people, is there anything that surprises you when you're doing your coaching and your training about people who are coming to this for the first time? Anything you think? Uh, yeah, there, pattern, there is. Yeah, you know what? There is a couple. The, the first one is it's always a telltale sign when we're working with a new client, is if their approach is just tell me how to get them to listen to what I have to say. Right. Right. If we start with a coaching client and that's their approach, just tell me how to get them to understand me, then it gives us a good indicator of where we need to start with them on the journey. And it, and it really comes from the mental aspect. And if your approach is, how do I get them to listen to me, then you're already in the wrong mindset. That's the mindset that we would trip up on because we're still self-focused. Because it's all about how do I get my point across? How do I get them to understand where I'm coming from? And the nature of tactical empathy and empathy in general is that you allow the other person to go first. Mm. You know, this, um, I, I hate to refer to it as like a common courtesy, but very much like when you're going through a doorway and you're being courteous and it's like, oh, let me allow you to go first as opposed to shoving past someone and slipping through the door before they get a chance. Yeah. And that's really the difference in the mindsets. And the mindset we want is I will allow you to go first. And once you have the cycles and the repetitions in, you realize that the net gain in allowing to go first takes you a lot further in the short and long term because it's like, oh, you're allowing me to express my opinions and my thoughts in a very deep manner. Most people I deal with don't allow that because they're too busy shoving their own data down my throat. And just, it's a breath of fresh air to deal with you. Yeah. So we instantly start to trigger more and more in-depth thinking and collaboration as a result of that just simple process up front. I'm going to allow you to go first. And then kind of another thing is this idea of listening. We all think that listening is, is a good thing, and it is. I'm not, I'm not contending that it's a bad thing. The reality of it is it's not the finish line. And I think that's where we get caught up because it's like, okay, I've listened, 
you got done talking. I listened because my mouth was shut and my ears were open. Now I can speak. And that's technically not the sequence. After we listen, we need to be able to indicate to them that we fully understand. And that's the next step. And we tend to skip over that because we listen, we say, I understand. And then we go into what we have to say, as opposed to listening, doing a full summary. Mm. Right? So far, you've told me that one of the reasons this house is so important to you is because you and your grandmother drank iced tea on the back deck every summer. And, uh, you know, you had your first dog in this house, right? Whatever those things are. And as a result, you feel like you're losing that by selling this home. And that's something that's really hard for you to deal with. As opposed to they lay it out, all that out for you and you just go, oh, I understand. I love my grandmother too. And let me tell you why the market doesn't bear the price that you want. Yeah. Right. And we want to do the former as opposed to the latter. Yeah. I think that's uh, so important there that you, you know, like that, that phrase used about sequencing, because I think most people would go from the listening to straight to trying to fix the problem or, sh- or you know, just share what whatever they're up to. So, um, yeah, I think that's really important, making sure that you've got that empathy in there straight after the listening part, kind of extending that to uh, to then be able to go on to helping them and, um, uh, and offering solutions. But that is like much later down the line. And a lot of people, I guess, just start with the solutions so they don't even do the listening, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a guy on our team by the name of Troy Smith, one of our other expert coaches. He loves to say, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Mm-hmm. And that, that falls right in line with that. They don't know how much we care, how much we've been listening, unless we can verbalize it for them. And that's, that's where that starts. Well, there's been so many really useful tips today and uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. It's it's like a good place to wrap up, I think. So um, just before we do that, can you tell us a bit more about where people can find out more about yourself and what you what you're up to at the Black Swan Group? um, Sure, sure, sure. So a great place to look is is obviously going to be on our website, which is blackswanltd, like limited dot com. Uh, it's, a, it's a great way to sign up for our free blog that comes out every Tuesday, short, concise articles on very pertinent negotiation issues, easy to read, easy to digest. Uh, also, uh, I'm on Twitter, uh, BBoss1, and Chris, my father and the author of Never Split the Difference, is FBI negotiator on Twitter. Feel free to follow us. But the website and specifically our weekly blog that we put out that's where all of our marketing goes first. And so we always market to our subscribers and our fans before we let the rest of the world know what we're doing. And so if you want to get kind of an insider look and and different things that are coming out, the blog's a great way to keep track of that. Fantastic. Well, we'll put links to those in the show notes as well. And um, once again, just want to really thank you for your time. It's been really useful and lots of uh, golden nuggets. And I highly recommend for anyone who hasn't read the book to go and check that out and uh, follow you on, on uh, online as well. So uh, thank you very much and um, we'll see you next time. Thank you so much, Michelle. It was, it was a pleasure being on with you today. Thank you. Take care. And for anyone who is not yet a subscriber of the magazine, please click the link in the show notes for your first free trial.